Welcome back to The Queer Q. In today's episode, we'll be looking at one of the most transgressive and seminal films that define new queer cinema, Todd Haynes' 1991 feature, Poison. It's the only thing that lets you stand up to misery, and not this kind of misery, but the kind of misery the whole stinking world is made of! So the film opens with a title that reads, The whole world is dying of panicky fright. This line encapsulates Todd Haynes' provocative first feature, Poison, that emulates the harrowing mood of the AIDS epidemic. Poison intercuts three different narratives in its 85-minute runtime, hero, horror, and homo. Each narrative is stylized differently from the other, contrasting one another visually and narratively, yet similarly criticizing society's reaction to the things that deviate from the norm. In Todd Haynes' director's statement for Poison, he states, With any such luck, it's a film that plays around with the act of telling stories while at the same time asking a few serious questions about the nature of deviance, cultural conditioning, and disease. Poison won the Grand Jury Prize at the Sundance Film Festival and was a milestone for new queer cinema. With its confrontational and dark subjects, Haynes' Poison ushered in a new wave of independent queer films that went against the grain and added a complex layer to the exploration of queer identity. So Nick, what did you think of the movie? Well, I loved Poison. I love Poison. Um, I've always been a huge fan of Todd Haynes. You know, I started watching Todd Haynes with Far From Heaven, and one of my favorite films of all time is Carol. So I was really excited to go back to his first full feature and see Poison, and it did not disappoint. So, you know, it came out right after some of his short films, like, you know, the controversial superstar, Karen Carpenter story. And what I really loved about this film is that we have these three disparate narratives, but they were all connected with this recurring theme, this through line of isolation and persecution that was very topical at the time because of the AIDS crisis. And the mainstream public opinion on the queer community and uh, specifically gay men and um, during that time because of AIDS. And so, you know, I really loved his style with this film. You know, it felt like a pastiche of different homages to different cinematic styles. And um, I felt like it really solidified new queer cinema as a genre. So Alina, what did you think of Poison? So I think Poison is a great film to explore when studying the films of new queer cinema. Although I'll admit that unconventional style through intercutting three different narratives are a bit jarring. And it was upon first screening, at least for me, it it was kind of weird. And so going into Poison, this experimental um, intercutting that Haynes does can be a little bit challenging for a viewer the first time they watch it. But I think its transgressive structure propels the audience to re-examine their own conventional mindset in regards to queer theory and film, which is what Haynes' intention was when in his director's statement that I relayed earlier. And Poison, in my opinion, remains one of the most experimental and transgressive queer films that I've watched till this day. I don't think I've seen anything that has, in at least in new queer cinema that I can think of right now, that has provoked me provoked such a visceral response that even I can't really put into words right now 
Yeah, I can completely agree with that. You know, and I, I completely agree because it's how the narrative is structured, that it's it's so unconventional, like you were saying, that it provides this type of visceral experience, you know, the different themes and how they're played out over these different narratives. And it's definitely not the first film I would suggest for anyone foraying into new queer cinema. You know, this is such a rewarding film, but it really takes going through that journey of discovering new queer cinema and then leading up to this as kind of like the holy grail of new queer cinema, in my opinion, to really be able to have that type of response that you were experiencing. You know, I would, you know, suggest starting out with something like my own private Idaho or Paris is burning something that mm-hmm. is going to be a lot more mainstream and how it's well known and how um, it's portrayed for a mainstream audience. And then, you know, moving into this, there mm-hmm. really is that type of response that is, that's earned when watching Agreed. this film. And uh, a little background information. This film was also like just not emotion. It wasn't also provocative emotionally, but it was also politically in a way with how the controversy surrounding it. And so let me just get to my notes. And so, okay, so Poison was partially funded by the National Endowment for the Arts and was attacked by Reverend Donald Wildman. And he's the head of the American Family Associates. And he called Poison, called out Poison for its explicit porno scenes of homosexuals involved in anal sex. Mm-hmm. And funny enough, he also admitted that he never actually saw the film. It's really interesting thinking about the controversy when watching Uh this movie. It is. You know, I feel like this is one of the most controversial films in New Queer Cinema, and it's Mm -hmm. because it was partially funded, like you said, by the National Endowment of the Arts. You know, this was a chance for conservative lawmakers to finally say, okay, well, you can't do that. You know, this is our chance to be able to shut down your artistic freedom. And, you know, I think it's just so hilarious that this, you know, this figure never actually saw the film. And, you know, this is all just speculation and gossip. And I think that it really affirms some of the themes that we see in this film. Uh, especially Hero. And Hero, it's this narrative of, um, it tells the story of seven-year-old Richie, who's the subject of this 20th century style television news documentary. And, you know, it kind of rips off of the whole 24-hour news cycle and these types of salacious news documentaries that rose to prominence during the time. And so the story is all about how this seven-year-old boy shot and killed his father and him disappearing. And so what we see throughout this segment are interviews by neighbors, people in the community, and classmates and teachers of seven-year-old Richie. And they all talk about, you know, why they think he would have done that. But they mostly focus on why he's so different from everyone else. And it really alludes to his queerness. And the only person who actually really defends him is his mother. And so his mother talks about the type of abuse that Richie experienced through bullying and abuse that he faced from his father. 
And so it would make sense if that's the reason why he shot his father. But of course, the abuse is more of the reaction to his queerness. And the reason why we find out throughout this film that he shot his father is because he found his father abusing his mother. So he actually saves his mother, and that's what makes him the hero of the story. Focusing on how this film is styled, it really emphasizes just how Richie and the story is completely um, persecuted by his community. And he's within this home of his where he's more of a prisoner of his community and of his home because of living with his father. And he's dealing with so much isolation because of these two aspects of society. And it really paralleled to a lot of the same treatment that queer individuals faced at the time. So we see this type of parallel between Richie's story and being this misunderstood actual hero and how a lot of queer people were misunderstood during the 90s and before. Mm-hmm. So what did you think of the hero segment? So I'll be honest, I think the hero segment was my least favorite segment out of the three of them. And out of all of them, I think it was also the one that I didn't understand what Todd Haynes was trying to say with say about it. But as we're talking about it, and upon my second time watching it, I, I understand it a little bit more about what Todd Haynes is at least trying to say about the complexity um, of deviancy and queerness. And with Hero, I think I wasn't looking at the angle that you were looking at, um, which is really illuminating to me. Because again, I think I was just so focused on like, I want to know what's the real story when, you know, the whole point of all three segments and the whole point of Poison is, you know, a critique on how um, the queer community, how queer identities are perceived and treated in society, especially during the height of the AIDS um, epidemic, um, which horror encapsulates. So the horror narrative of the film, which is shot in black and white, is an allegory to the AIDS epidemic that mimics B-monster horror movies. Honestly, if you watched like a lot of B-monster movies like I did, especially like 50s horror movies, you'll definitely see um, the style that Haynes is trying to emulate. You know, I thought of Dr. Jekyll and Hyde, I thought of Invisible Man, um, Frankenstein, uh, Dracula when I watch when I watch this segment. And so this segment follows the scientist Dr. Thomas Graves, played by Larry Maxwell, um, who isolates the sex drive into a serum and accidentally drinks it upon meeting his new intern, Dr. Nancy Olson. And so... Uh, because Dr. Graves ingested the sex drive, he undergoes this transformation. We see that he has open sores on his face, really alluding to AIDS and SEDs and, you know, this, this fear and this paranoia unjustly placed on the queer community. And we see this with the newspapers writing headlines of leper sex killer on the loose, and they describe... Dr. Graves as having this venomous cancer. And this can definitely be Haynes pointing to the cries of the AIDS being called gay cancer. And so the segment ends with police and reporters and the entire community rallying outside Graves' apartment. And Graves is also 
Um, he's filled with remorse and he's also filled with anger as he climbs to the balcony and gives um, one of my favorite monologues in this film. Because you'll never know what, what pride is. Because pride is the only thing that lets you stand up to misery and not this kind of misery. But the kind of misery the whole stinking world is made of! To me, throughout all the three segments, I think this monologue and Dr. Graves standing on that balcony with his monstrous form really captured the anger. The beginning of Poison starts off with horror. And I think maybe it's just me reaching and I think it's like Todd Haynes, especially with the title, inner title, um, about the world being in a panicky fright. Todd Haynes is really alluding to like the anger um, and the attacks they felt during the AIDS crisis. Yeah, I agree completely. And I'm also a huge fan of those like 50s B-horror movies. And I really loved what Todd Haynes did, you know, his way of, you know, paradising it and using that to tell the story about how the public views AIDS and queer people at that time. You know, I really enjoyed that final monologue. I do agree. I feel that it's the most transgressive, you know, speech that's given in this film. I don't, I wouldn't say it's the most transgressive segment. I think I I would say it would be Homo. It's definitely the darkest out of the three. And between here and Homo, as I said, um, I think Homo is the most visually stylized out of the three with this interchanging styles between the cool, dark prison um, tones to the idyllic pink tones of John Broom's memories from the days at the Bolton Reformatory. I also read somewhere where apparently like the it was stylized after this short film or this film called Pink Narcissus. I don't know if you know what that is, but I, I definitely want to look that up. I've never seen it, but I've, I've heard that it was inspired by the 70s film Pink Narcissus. That is very interesting. Like, I feel like there are so many different types of styles that are brought into the segment. And I feel like Homo is definitely the richest because, you know, we have that example there, part of Pink Narcissus. And then, you know, it's based off of the writings of Jean Genet and specifically Miracle of the Rose. And, you know, looking at the way that this narrative is set up and some of the stylistic choices, I feel like there's a lot of Fassbender that is influenced, um, specifically Fassbender's adaptation of Jean Genet's work, Carrel. And so we have these very queer-themed stories that are being based off of in these cinematic adaptations that are very transgressive and violent. You know, we see that Homo is the most violent of these three segments. But I loved what Todd Haynes did with the contrast of these two styles. You know, in the present, we have John who's locked away in this very dark prison. It's very hard to tell exactly what is going on in these scenes because it is so dark, you know. It's clammy, everything is very concrete and gray. There's no light, you know, it's the opposite of a utopian paradise. And so even though we flip back to these memories he has of his time as a schoolboy with Jack, 
you know, I'm sure those memories are even more heightened because of his environment, you know. And so even though I highly doubt his memories were as realistic to what we're seeing, it, it's so heightened because it has to contrast the experience he's having in prison. This is his one way to escape. So it's going to be as heavenly as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, in his memories of, you know, of his own sexual queer awakening, he's only seeing images of abuse and what we can assume is non-consensual um, acts that are happening to Jack, at least on Jack's character, um, to discuss a little bit more on him. And so what we know is that at reformatory school, he was the sullen boy who was always picked on, spit on. You know, we have this really kind of disgusting scene of where all these boys pull Jack um, and like push him off to the side and make him kneel down as they all start spitting into his mouth from afar. And we have John just watching um, off to the side, you know, and you really feel kind of bad for Jack seeing how tormented he was um, throughout the reformatory school and then even seeing it how he's treated in the prison prison life i think in prison jack is in a way he's also trying to reject um those memories and maybe even the his own queer identity yeah you know i think that for this boy you know and i even just now think of richie and how you know this is how Richie could have grown up because, you know, he was constantly bullied in school. And, you know, in that hero segment, he's able to escape. He's able to reclaim his identity through killing his father. But in this situation with Jack, it's like he follows the same pattern where he's being constantly bullied. He was bullied in those flashbacks of his time at the reformatory school with John. And he was bullied, and there was a scene where he is the recipient of um, anal sex from one of the schoolboys at the reformatory. And we do not know if that was consensual or not. You know, we don't know the entirety of that scene. So there's this instance where he's a recipient of sex, and he's being spit on by all of these boys just being constantly berated and abused. And so then he ends up at the same prison as John and they have this, this moment of bonding because of their shared experiences together and, you know, having this queer identity. And, you know, we're not entirely sure if Jack is queer or not, you know, he very well could be, or he could just be a victim of queerness. And, when he has these interactions with John and we move on to one of the most pivotal scenes of the section where John and Jack get into this fight and Jack is attacking John and John then ends up taking control of Jack and rapes him and trigger warning because it is a very hard scene to watch what it results and what it culminates in is Jack really realizing that he's never able to escape that type of prison of abuse and persecution. You know, he's 
in a prison throughout his life because of how others have treated him and used him and abused him. And then he actually ends up in a literal mm-hmm. prison. There is a quote um, where the protagonist says in the beginning of Homo that I think is also another thing that might thread all these three sections together where the protagonist says prison was not new to me i've lived in them my whole life in submitting to prison life embracing it i could reject the world that had rejected me and specifically setting it in a prison again we're going back to this theme of isolation um we have this whole discussion about where's a safe place for queer people in this time and it's nowhere yeah I think that there's a large connection between prison and home, how they can be interchangeable depending on your identity. And there was this really great quote, and it is, a child is born and he is given a name. Suddenly he can see himself. He recognizes his position in the world. For many, this experience, like that of being born, is one of horror. I think that it really ties in this idea of the prison and the home being so synonymous for anyone who feels alienated by society because a home can be just as confining as a prison. And I think for anyone with that type of identity, that's how they're going to feel. So I think that's another thing that is that really comes across when watching Poison and watching all three of these sections. And that's why it's an important film in the canon of new queer cinema. It provides cinema with the heights of independent queer filmmaking through Haynes' artistic vision. You know, there's this transgressive theme of queer identity combating society's hatred towards the queer community because of AIDS. And it places Poison distinctly into the new Kurosawa genre with its imperfect queer characters, transgressive queer themes, uncensored depictions of queer sex. I feel that Poison really elevated new Kurosawa into an art form. So that's the end of our second episode on the holy grail of new queer cinema, Todd Haynes' Poison, a transgressive film to add to your must-watch list of queer films. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Follow us on all our socials at QueerQE and stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be discussing Tom Kalen's swoon. Stay safe and stay queer, y'all.